This podcast is not here for those people that are trying to stay out of last place. Because those consequences don't exist for the people that are listening to this podcast. These are the people that always end up in the playoffs but can't seem to get over that hump. Or the ones who just want to dominate year after year just to show everybody else they're the champions. Guys, this is a fantasy football intervention. And we're about to intervene with your fantasy football life. I shouldn't even need to say this. I should not even need to say this. Because I say it all the time. But timing is everything. It's everything. Whether it's startup drafts or rookie drafts, right? Getting your team in sync, you know? Like what chicks do when they hang out with each other. And I don't know, something happens with like the moon and the stars and they're kind of like a line and then their cycles get together and it's just like the perfect timing, right? It's like how you need to do it with your dynasty teams, right? You need to get their cycles together. You need to get their cycles aligned, right? I mean, we're just trying to create like that perfect storm. That alpha and omega, the cream of the crop, the omnipotent. Oh, yes, you get what I'm saying. And most of you while drafting startups try to accomplish that feat, obviously. Typically, the guys in startups that have the best chance to accomplish that over the first couple years are the people that draft in the first half of the draft. You're able to take these guys in their prime, guys like Ezekiel Elliott, guys like Saquon Barkley, CMC, Alvin Kamara, right, Michael Thomas. These guys are in the prime time spot, the prime time location for you to take off and go win your fantasy championship. That's why the guys in the top four or five picks typically end up winning over the first couple of years as long as they draft right. And that always, doesn't always happen. And it's not always a bad thing. Because the people in the second half of the draft can go after these younger players, right? The players that can set them up for success in the future. All right, we've talked about Devontae Adams in the past. Guys like Chris Godwin, DJ Moore, right? All these running backs, these rookie running backs. If you end up taking two of these guys at the back end, you're set up for success. And typically, I actually like drafting in the back end of my draft because I can set myself up for a wash, rinse, and repeat. Yeah, baby, wash, rinse, and repeat, just like head and shoulders or whatever brand you decide to use. See, what you can do is you can draft young and you can set yourself up for a leap for you to actually draft running backs in the first couple picks of these upcoming drafts. Meanwhile, you already have guys like Chris Godwin, like we talked about, DJ Moore, maybe Cortland Sutton, whoever you actually believe in at the wide receiver that has taken a couple years to develop, right? Well, now they're sitting real pretty, real pretty. Okay, so you take a couple of these younger wide receivers that are going to be around for five or six years, all right? And you take some of these rookie running backs in the third, fourth round, boom. You're set up for success. You're set up for success. And you might not win this year because rookie running backs, although they can be great in the first year, typically it takes a year to two years to develop. And then, boom, you end up hitting the jackpot. Meanwhile, you spend all your rookie picks on younger wide receivers for this year, or I'm sorry, next year, as you might say. And you wait for them to develop behind your, your prime time wide receivers. And then they're ready to go as soon as you're ready to trade off the guys that are valued right now. Thing is, I'm getting a lot, a lot of questions about Dynasty Startup Leagues. I really am. 
And unless I'm drafting in like the top three, maybe four picks, my whole goal here is to get my entire team under the age of 25. I mean, if there's a guy that slips to me, maybe, where he falls down, he's 26 years old, and I can see a ton of value in him, yeah, I'll take him. Don't get me wrong. I I would definitely pick up that guy. But I'm actually going to try and flip that guy for some rookie picks about halfway through the season to a winning or contending team that still sees the value with his youth. Meanwhile, I'm building for the future, right? Because I understand that my guys might not be ready yet, but if I can set myself up for success in the future and not have to wait for a rebuild to hit, I'm golden. I'm absolutely golden. And I know I'm going to get a lot, a lot, a lot of hate. A lot of hate for this episode I'm about to do. I cannot wait. So bring it on, guys. Bring it on. But I'm trying to scoop up all these rookie picks, and I'm trying to set myself up for a five- or six-year run, and then wash and repeat within one year. Boom, your back's still on top. And guess what? Guess what? Your team, your average age of your team, is still right around the age of 26 or 27 years old. It's gold. It's absolute gold. So if you guys want to set yourself up for success, make sure you guys listen to this episode and make sure you guys join us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fantasy intervention. Once again, that's patreon.com slash fantasy intervention. Join our circle. I give insights at that site and on my page that I don't give to anybody else. Even if I'm sitting there trying to win a point in a conversation, I will keep that little pocket of knowledge in my pocket and I'm only going to give it to my Patreon users. Why? Because they support the show and they, they keep the show running. They allow you guys to listen to this stuff for free because, hey, they support me. And I want to give a huge shout out to all you Patreon followers. I love you guys. You guys have no idea how how far that goes for me and how much I appreciate y'all supporting. It's two bucks a month. It's only 50 cents a week. It's practically nothing. So please go on to patreon.com slash fantasy intervention and just say thank you to me by giving me two bucks a month. It's nothing. I'm sitting here doing a ton of research for you guys. And hell, I love doing it. But come on. Show me some support. Go to patreon.com slash fantasy intervention. Say thank you. Thank you for all the free content I've been giving you guys for close to eight months now. Now, I got a question for you guys, and I hope that you guys like basketball. You know, maybe not as much as you guys like football, but I can at least break this analogy down for you guys a little bit to try and help you guys understand where I'm coming from when it comes to building a team. And back right around the same time, the 76ers and the Golden State Warriors were in similar spots. Right, both losing teams, and one team went one way, another team went the other. We have the 76ers that ended up going after Julia Okafor, right, Joel Embiid, along with numerous other guys. Typically, they were centers at that position, and you had the Golden State Warriors who went after guys like Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. And if you look at it, the guard positions, small forward position as well, take slightly longer time to develop than the power forward in the center position. The crafts that they have to hone in, the skills that they have to hone in on to develop typically take a little bit longer than the power forwards and the centers. So when it comes to skill positions like wide receivers, quarterbacks, tight ends, I typically look at them as like the point guards, the the shooting guards, and the, the small forwards. With the running back position, it's way, way closer to getting a power forward or a center. They typically come in and they're able to maybe not dominate right away, but at least add their value into the game right off the bat. They're able to grab rebounds. They're able to block shots. They're able to dunk the ball, right? How else are guards and and small forwards supposed to get to the rim? They have to hone in and develop their ball handling skills. They have to develop their outside shot a little better, obviously with the three-point line being further back than the college three-point line. They have to get better at, at seeing the floor and being able to pass. 
it takes time to develop. But if you can let those players develop, like the Golden State Warriors did, right? Like the Celtics are doing. You let those outside players develop, and then boom, you can plug and play with other assets, just like the Warriors did with Draymond Green and Andrew Bogut, among many, many others. I can't think of off the top of my head. I believe David Lee could have been one of them as well. Now they're ready to dominate. Those skill players are ready to step up. So guess what? You plugged in those guys, and they took off. And they've been dominant ever since. Obviously, with, with Steph Curry being out this past season, it's been a little bit shaky. But they've been able to dominate for the most part. All you have to do is plug in these guys that are ready to go right off the bat after your guys are developed. So, like I said, for the wide receiver position, these guys, they have high-end goals. They have high-end numbers they put up. But the real thing you're looking for is consistency from the wide receiver position at a high-end level. Running back isn't as hard to get consistency. Wide receiver is extremely, extremely volatile. So while you sit there and you take guys like Chris Godwin, who you know are going to be consistent, you take guys like DJ Moore, who you know are going to be consistent, and they're going to continue to put up high-end numbers, you're going to take off once you decide that you're ready to plug other guys in. You're not going to need three years to get a top 10 roll out of wide receiver if you draft him in a startup draft right off the bat. Even if you end up trading for a guy and you're going to draft a rookie running back, you should be in good shape. Somebody like DJ Shark to pair up with Jonathan Taylor, you should be in good shape. There's only been four rookie wide receivers to see over 100 targets since 2015. Only four. Drafting a rookie wide receiver in a rookie draft isn't going to win you a league until two or three years, minimum. Minimum. From the point that you drafted them or from the point they even get on the field and start. That's why I tell you guys, if you're building from scratch, like I said, make sure you're setting yourself up with players that are progressing at their position at a high-end level. When you talk about the quarterback position, the wide receiver, and the tight end, guys like Josh Allen, right? Throughout his sophomore year was crucial, crucial to progression when it came to dynasty leagues. If he did not develop through that, you were pretty much going to move off him. However, he did develop. And what we saw from Drew Locke at the tail end of this past season was extremely, extremely similar. It's just on a smaller scale. I'm not saying that Drew Locke is going to be a locked in, loaded, ready to go guy. But at the same time, you got to take a step back and look at the potential upside for some of these guys. And if they're developing in a positive way, you want the upside and you want to continue to progress forward. You're not going to go in and take a guy like Aaron Rodgers if you're drafting at the back end of the, the first round, early second. You're not going to go in because you're going to have too many young players and you don't want to surround these young players with a guy that's going to be out of the league in two or three years. I just said Aaron Rodgers is going to be out of the league in two or three years. Oh my God, I'm going to get some people pissed off at me. Anyways, if you already have your dynasty team set up, right? And you're sitting there, you know that you're not going to have a chance at the championship. You look at three other teams and they are so much better. So much better than you are. And you're in a rookie draft right now. Why would you draft a wide receiver? Why would you go that route? It takes three years. Three years to develop a wide receiver. The only teams that should be drafting wide receivers are teams that already have starters at that position. Unless you are so far out of the running, unless you got completely screwed by your first year, second year, whatever the case was, a dynasty, right? And your team is so far out of the running that you know that you cannot compete for three years. 
That is the only time that you should draft a rookie wide receiver. That or unless there's a generational talent coming out, which this year there is no generational talent that's coming out. And even then, the best wide receivers in this class are going to have to share snaps and share targets with other players on their team. Don't go off and sit there and and spend your first round pick on a rookie wide receiver. It is a luxury to have a rookie wide receiver. It is a necessity. Necessity. For you to already have productive wide receivers on your roster in order to draft a rookie wide receiver. Now I know, I know you're probably sitting there and saying, well, my roster isn't really set up for success. I don't have top-end stars at the wide receiver position. And yet, I don't want to draft a rookie running back because the time's going to run out before I get to use him on his rookie contract. You know, and then he's going to end up going to the, to the burning pile. They're going to throw him in the oven, lock him away. Right? We're never going to get to use him because I used all of his high-end touches and his valued rookie production or his valued rookie contract production when they were running the shit out of him during a time that I was never going to win. And it ended up wasting my draft capital as well. And to that, yeah, you're correct. I'm not trying to blow your mind. I'm not trying to contradict what I'm saying necessarily. But you need to go a different route. And the route to go is sitting there and trading back. Trade back. Young Padawan, trade back. Go pick up a DeAndre Swift or a J.K. Dobbins with like the 104 if you're drafting the 101 or 102. Trade back. Hell, go get a 106, 107, 108. I don't really care. Trade back. You can still grab a guy like Cam Akers. You can still grab a guy like Keyshawn Vaughn in the 106 through 108 in most cases. You don't have to worry about any one of these guys seeing over 300 touches in their first couple years. The only one that I really have a fear of is going to be DeAndre Swift. Just in case on Johnson gets hurt. The best thing for DeAndre Swift owners right now that are not necessarily ultra competitive, that are not going to go for the championship run this year, is that on Johnson takes the major workload over and does not get hurt. Even a 50-50 timeshare, I would love. Because it's going to sit there and hold the value. It's going to hold the value for DeAndre Swift later. He doesn't have to keep on putting mileage on his wheels for no reason. He's going to be able to learn the offense. He's going to be able to read defenses. Let him sit. Let him develop. It's fine if he doesn't produce the first year. The only reason that I would ever, ever want him to produce in his rookie year is if I end up trading for that pick previously in a, in a previous season and I have a championship caliber team and he's just depth on my team. He's going to come in in some bye weeks. He's going to come in if somebody gets injured, and it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal because he's not my main producer at the running back position. Right now, if you're a winning team, if you're a championship caliber team, you should not be thinking, man, I need DeAndre Swift to produce. I need him to produce. If you're saying that right now, you don't have enough depth on your team to make a championship run. You don't. Great. You want to win for one year? That's great. You want to win for five years? You want DeAndre Swift to be saved. You want him to hold the fuck on while you continue to build depth, especially in this 2021 running back class that should be absolutely nuts. But back to it, you got to sit there and you got to trade back 
if you're somebody that needs depth at all positions, if you're not ready to win right now, or if you're not ready to start making progressive moves because your team is so beat up and your team is so old and you cannot move any of your guys, trade back. Try to see what can happen. Right? Maybe you can get the 106 and potentially, I don't know, DJ Shark for the 101 or 102. Maybe even 103. People are getting greedy. When this rookie draft goes to hit, all the hype, all the steam is going to be behind these rookie running backs. Oh my God, is the steam going to be on? That fire is going to be lit, baby. You're going to see smoke signs going up telling you to draft rookie running backs all over the place. You don't think that somebody would trade away the 106, 107, or 108? And DJ Shark for the 101? Just wait. Throw it out there. Let it sit. People are getting greedy. Nom, 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 nom. I need all the Clyde Edwards Hilaire I can get because Andy Reid got two great years out of Westbrook. Ah, nom, 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 nom. Westbrook. Andy Reid loves him. Nom, 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 nom. I'm going to eat all of the Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Oh my God. That's all I'm hearing right now. You could probably end up getting the 106 and Cortland Sutton and DJ Shark in some cases. Now, that's a little bit of a stretch, but either way. You talk about being able to add assets, and you have the 101 or 102. This could be the best year ever for that. Best year ever. You know, you could sit there and talk about how Todd Gurley and Zeke Elliott at the time, right? All these guys, Saquon Barkley, were the best years to trade back. They weren't because there were no up-and-coming wide receivers at the level. At the level that some of these guys are coming up right now. Chris Godwin was what? A wide receiver, what, two or three this past year? And he was hurt. He was hurt for the final, what, two games? Or final game? He's only, what, 24, 25 years old? He's got six years left of production. DJ Shark is only 23, I believe. What the fuck? This year is gold. Gold when it comes to trading back. Trading back in the draft and acquiring some of these veteran wide receivers that are still young. Now, I probably bored the shit out of you guys on talking about team builds and how to build your team and which ways to go. Some of you guys already know. You guys are looking for player information, and that's what I do best. That's what I actually love to do. But I had to get this out of my way before I start basing all of my podcasts off of individual players and matchups because people could build their teams the wrong way. They really could. And if you just tuned into this podcast, go back at least five episodes and go listen to How to Build a Dynasty along with other, other episodes and see how you should line your team up before you take my advice on certain players. All right? You need to know where to go. You need to know how to line up your teams. But I'm done. I'm done talking about it. I'm washing my hands. I'm done. I'm ready to cover players again, and I'm stoked about it. I'm so stoked. God, I missed it. I wanted to sit here and wait for the draft to simmer down. All right? I was tired of all the hype. I was tired of all these people just reacting way too fast. I wanted for the draft to simmer down. Simmer down now. Simmer the fuck down. All right? I wanted to sit here and take a deep breath and see where I wanted players and their landing spots and dive into who I think the steals are, right, for your rookie drafts based off of ADP. And honestly, there are definitely some crazy, crazy values right now just based off of hype and people drafting guys way, way, way too early. All right, these name brands, these guys are killing people, killing people in their rookie drafts, so you cannot make the same mistake. 
Uh, you guys have already heard me talk about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, and J.K. Dobbins. That's pretty much all I've covered individual player-wise outside of a couple guys that stood out here and there. So I'm not going to talk about those four guys. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to my previous episodes. But what I'm going to talk about is a few guys that I feel like need to come up in the draft and a few guys that need to fall back some in the draft. And I'm going to start this out with the fifth overall pick in the first round. The ADP, based off Fantasy Pros, is going to be Jerry Judy. And he's going above C.D. Lamb, going above Cam Akers, going above Justin Jefferson, going above Ruggs, going above all these guys. And obviously, I do think that he is the second best wide receiver coming out of this draft, potentially the first. But I just think he's being overvalued as the 105. There are too many mouths to feed. Too many mouths to feed over there in Denver. They've got K.J. Hamler over there to spread it out. Rumor is that on his virtual pro day, he ran a 2-2 flat. 2-2 flat. Not even on his virtual pro day. He actually ran it for his team behind closed doors. And they didn't want to put it out there. But I guess they kind of leaked it to an extent. But he, supposedly K.J. Hamler can run a 2-2 flat. He's faster than Henry Ruggs. I don't know if that's true or not. But it's a rumor out there. Either way, we're talking about Jerry Judy being there with KJ Hamler is going to stretch it out. We obviously have Cortland Sutton. They added Albert O onto that offense. Oh, it's it's Drew Locke's old old tight end man, and he produced at a very very high end level with Drew Locke in college. Obviously, Drew Locke trusts him significantly, so look for Drew Locke to spread some targets that way. And then, of course, we also have Noah Fant. That is five. Five valid options on offense to spread out the ball to. And we, even, we haven't even talked about the three running backs. I haven't even brought up the three running backs. Got Melvin Gordon, Philip Lindsay, and Royce Freeman down there. And then you have Deshaun Hamilton, right? Who could play on the slot. Who knows what this offense is going to look like? I'll tell you what, though. While saying who knows what this offense is going to look like, it actually scares me. It scares me a little bit. Because the Denver Broncos, although they did add a couple different pieces in the offensive line, they're going to have to wait for those guys to develop. And Drew Locke, he uses his legs a little bit. He likes to run some. But honestly, he wasn't overly impressive when it came to passing the ball this past season. Most of his throws were just short, dink and dunk passes outside of some crazy ones that Corlin Sutton came up with in the, in the red zone and in the end zone and just all over the field, really. I mean, Corlin Sutton looked like an absolute monster, and it made Drew Locke look really, really good in certain situations. But that wasn't the case throughout every game. I sit back and... I went back and looked at the numbers, and I mean, yeah, sure, his completion percentage was extremely high. But when you watch the game film, when you look at the numbers, you just saw that the average depth of throw was not there. He was making safe throws. The play call was on point, and hopefully, hopefully that translates. But for right now, the risk is too high for me at number five when I have C.D. Lamb, who could end up getting paired up with Dak Prescott for the next, what, 10 years? We're in the number 88 with no pressure on him in his rookie season because he's going to be sitting behind, behind Amari Cooper and behind Michael Gallup. He's going to have a chance to develop. He's going to have a chance to add 10 pounds on. Still keep that speed up. I love C.D. Lamb's uh, marking spot, right? He's behind guys like Cam Akers for me. Not a huge Cam Akers fan necessarily, but do I think he belongs above Jerry Judy? Yeah, I sure do. Even Justin Jefferson is arguable. I've got to drop down Jerry Judy from number five down to right around the 110-18 range for the rookie drafts. When it comes to Keyshawn Vaughn, Keyshawn Vaughn's another guy that I actually think could move up. He's sitting there at 112, and if he lasts the 112, he is a steal. He's an absolute steal. Will he be a day one impact? No. 
In fact, I think it could take a couple years for Keyshawn Vaughn to actually grab the reins. But there's enough upside here with the way that they're addressing the offensive line, with the way that this offense is, is going as a whole, to take a shot on this guy ahead of guys like Rager, Mims, and Henry Ruggs. Peyton Barber this past season finished as the running back 40 in this offense, right outside of running back three. And honestly, I feel like if that's the floor for Vaughn, like that could be his year one floor. He'll never be RB40 ever again, but for year one, sure, you get RB40, which means that you can still use him from week to week in advantageous situations. That's the floor is RB40. Even if you don't think he's going to play much in year one, like I said, you're still going to have usable games. And after all that, <laughs> it's wheels up for Cam Akers. My only fear with Cam Akers is that Dare Ngambuale ends up cannibalizing touches in year one and Cam Akers never really gets to show off his skill set. There's a risk associated with, with Keyshawn Vaughn, but honestly, I'm willing to take the shot on that because he's a running back, baby. He's a running back. Now, next guy that I have is actually going to be falling on the list, and that's Joe Burrow at 215, or 203, I'm sorry, at 203. That's just too early for a quarterback, guys. Don't let names drive value up. Joe Burrow in a standard non-2QB league is too high. He's too high at the 203. You still have multiple other assets that have better percentage markings when it comes to production levels. If you go with a wide receiver running back, that's at a level around here over Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, for me, isn't an option until the late second round. LaVisca Chenault's a guy that belongs above, above him. I mean, honestly, Chenault... At the 204, I feel like that's where he really should go, maybe a little bit higher. But in most of the drafts I've done, <laughs> Chenault's falling to like the end of the second round, early third round. It's crazy to me. Sure, he had a poor combine. He was completely torn up. He's the perfect skill matchup for Minshew. He's on the lower end of air yards per target. And on top of that, Conley and Westbrook dropped 22 passes this past season. 22. Between them, whew, dropping those passes and the, the lack of separation that those two guys created when it came to targeted passes, oh my God, Gardner Minshew's going to be rock hard, rock hard when he sees Chanel running on the field. He's going to be like, that's my guy right there. Him and DJ Shark, they're going to make Gardner Minshew relevant. And don't forget, Jay Gruden loves his slot guys, right? We talk about what Jay Gruden can do with his offensive skill position players. He makes guys relevant that you never thought could be relevant before. I mean, look at Terry McLaurin in that offense, right? Who was sitting there thinking that Terry McLaurin would be a dominant wide receiver? A.J. Green was developed under Jay Gruden. You talk about multiple, multiple assets throughout the years that Jay Gruden has been able to develop, and now you have a LaVisca Chenault, who might be the most talented outside of A.J. Green, coming into this offense. Jay Gruden is brilliant as an offensive coordinator. He's going to be able to coach. He's going to be able to coach Gardner Minshew on how to get the ball in LaVisca Chenault's hands and allow LaVisca Chenault room to run after the catch. I love it. I love Jay Gruden being able to scheme up different routes, different systems in order to get Chenault multiple, multiple touches. Love Chenault here. If he can put fourth of the combine, right? What he did without being injured, whew, I cannot wait to see him healthy at the NFL level. I can't wait. 
This is my 2020 version of Terry McLaurin. This is my 2020 version of Debo Samuel. I think they're going to have very, very similar production profiles at the end of LaVisca Chenault's year one. The next guy is going to be Tua. Tua is sitting here at the 206. Once again, I already covered it with Joe Burrow. It's just way too early for me. So I'm going to move on to the next guy. We have Antonio Gibson talking about a Swiss Army knife. Holy shit. Antonio Gibson is going to be a cheat code this year. You're going to get all sorts of production from him, especially, especially if Ron Rivera sticks with the 21 formation. I love it. I absolutely love Antonio Gibson in the 21 formation. If they end up going with two backs, two wide receivers, and a tight end, there's no one that would be more essential, more essential in this system than Antonio Gibson. They're going to be able to option him out, or motion him out, I should say. They're going to be able to keep him on the outside, inside, slide. It doesn't matter. He's going to be utilized all over the place. They could even play him as like an H-back or like a tight end role where he sits there and acts like he's on block, and then he ends up going out for a pass just like a fullback would go out. Gets a ball in his hands, an open field. Oh, my God. It's going to be fire. It's going to be fire. There's not a situation that I schemed up in which I wouldn't have Antonio Gibson playing at a certain position on the field. If you had, I don't know, Adrian Peterson and Darius Geis for running back, you have McLaurin, uh, McLaurin on the outside, right? You have either Gandy Golden or Steven Sims or Harvin, whoever you want to put on the other side on the outside. Then Gibson slides in there as a slot wide receiver. You go to a 20 formation. We have Jeremy Sprinkle right now on the Redskins. We have Logan Thomas on the Redskins, right? We have Thaddeus Moss. None of these guys are going to be as dynamic of a playmaker with the ball in their hands, obviously, as Antonio Gibson. Let each one of these guys take off in a different direction. Who are you going to cover? Are you going to ask a linebacker to cover Antonio Gibson coming out of the slot? Are you going to ask a safety? That slot corner is going to have to end up covering the flat if you have Darius Geis or Adrian Peterson going out as a flare option on the outside. I love Antonio Gibson in this spot. The opportunities are endless. They're endless. They're endless. And Antonio Gibson here, Sitting where he's at at the one or at the two ten is insane to me. Insane. He's an early second round pick. Do not lose your value on this guy. Honestly, I think that he might be ahead of Lavisca Chenault. This guy is one of the most dynamic playmakers with the ball in his hands. And guess what? Yesterday, Ron Rivera came out and said that he sees CMC's skill sets whenever he looks at Antonio Gibson. So if you're sitting there getting all hyped about Andy Reid, right, and saying it about Clyde edwards Lair and, and Brian Westbrook, oh my God, oh my God. Why aren't you getting hyped about Ron Rivera using Antonio Gibson like Christian McCaffrey? Christian McCaffrey's a better player than Westbrook was. Why are people not getting hyped about Antonio Gibson? It blows my mind. He's an early second-round pick. If not, he could even be a late first in some different leagues. Oh my God, I love it. I love it. My only fear is Haskins, but honestly, we're either going to end up completely sucking with Dwayne Haskins, and he's going to get replaced, and we're going to get Trevor Lawrence, maybe Fields, that would be awesome too, or he's going to get it, he's going to lock in, and we're going to win. The Redskins this year, they're either going to have a great year out of Haskins, or it's going to bomb, and the whole thing's going to go up in flames. Either way, I would take it. Either way, I'd take Dwayne Haskins being a version of himself from what we saw at Ohio State, or I'd take him going up in flames so he could get Fields or Trevor Lawrence. Both of them work out for Antonio Gibson. Once again, we go to another quarterback, Justin Herbert. 
Still too early at the 301 for Herbert, but honestly, if you're in a league where you need a quarterback, you're sitting there at the 301, Justin Herbert's the last quarterback on the board. That's the only pick you have. Sure, I can understand taking Herbert at 301. But if I have a quarterback, I'm not reaching for Herbert. There's no reason to take Herbert this early at the 301. He still has certain kinks he's going to have to work out. He's still two years out from being a valid, valid, valuable option in fantasy. Another steal, Anthony McFarlane. Whew. Anthony McFarlane going at 304. I'm sorry, the 302. Anthony McFarlane going at 302 is going to be a steal. An absolute steal. A steal. People are just now realizing what's going on in the Pittsburgh Steelers organization. They don't like James Conner. They might like him. The guy beat cancer. That's great. I love James Conner to an extent, but he cannot stay healthy. They know. They know that Benny the Snail is not going to be a valid starting option for their team. Anthony McFarlane might only be 5'08", but he's 208 pounds. For 5'8", that's pretty bulky. That's pretty big. That's like the size of Christian McCaffrey. This guy can get between the tackles. And he did extremely, extremely well in 2018. However, he dealt with an injury in 2019. He wasn't fully healthy. Sure, I'm a little bit concerned to an extent that it was down production, but I still love him going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. If Ben Roethlisberger's back, if they can draft a quarterback coming up or at least grab a younger guy, dude, Pittsburgh Steelers are going to be fire, fire for Anthony McFarlane. They continuously find, find skill position players over and over again that are valuable to their team. Wide receivers and running backs, it's like a never-ending fountain. It's like the damn Energizer Bunny or something. It just keeps going and going and going and going and going. And oh my God, I've heard enough. Heard enough. Heard enough of they could draft another guy in 2021 to take over that starting role. Oh my God, enough. I want to read off the players that are going to be the free agents in 2021. We have Bud Dupree, we have Cameron Hayward, Vance McDonald, Alejandro Villanueva. You've got Juju Smith-Schuster, Wormley. Like, so many guys on this roster are about to be free agents. They're not going to be able to afford, afford to draft a running back. They're going to have to reinvest their, their draft capital into some rookie guys at these positions. Left tackle is going to be crucial for them. Defensive tackle is going to be crucial for them. Outside linebacker, they're going to need help. TJ Watt can't do it all by himself. I know the guy's amazing, but he can't do it all by himself. There's no way. There's no way. They might end up taking another late guy, but thinking that the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to invest in early, early draft capital into a rookie running back is not, is not going to be an option. I love myself some Anthony McFarland, and I think that he's going to be a Pittsburgh Steeler running back for a very, very long time. Guy that i got to move down my board. I've got a few guys in a row that I think are just going way too early. Cole Komet's going to be the first one. And why is he going as the 28th overall pick? That doesn't make any sense to me. What is that, the 304? They have a bad quarterback. They've got nine tight ends on their roster. Sure, it takes a few years to develop. But it's not like this guy was a game changer. 
It's not like this guy is, is going to be the next superstar, right? He had, a, he had an okay workout. He's all right when it comes to athletic, but, or athletic profiles. Sure, sure. But my developmental hopes on a tight end, <laughs> they're going to rely on a different year. Unless your name is Adam Troutman, they're not going to be coming from 2020. Promise you that. I think they need to slide down. And honestly, if it's only three rounds, I would not be drafting Cole Komet at any point. I love Devin Duvernay. This is my next guy. He's sitting at 29th overall. Love him. But the amount of balls that are going to have to spread around between all their tight ends and all their running backs and all their wide receivers. I mean, they already have Marquise Brown, who's the exact same receiver almost. At least he has a similar skill set. I don't understand it. They still have Miles Boykin. I mean, just receiver after receiver after receiver after receiver. Devin Duvernay, I actually did draft in the fourth round of one of my other drafts, but I mean, that's late in the fourth round. I'm just taking a shot, hoping that Marquise Brown gets hurt. I mean, not hoping he gets hurt. Marquise, if you're listening, I hope you don't get hurt. Hollywood, I hope you don't get hurt. But just in case you do, I got Devin Duvernay just in case. Honestly, I view Devin Duvernay as more of a handcuff over a primary option at wide receiver for Baltimore. And this one, I just don't get it. I've talked about it before. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Why did Van Jefferson get drafted in the second round? It doesn't make any sense to me. All right, he wasn't overly fast. I know I've seen that post where he got clocked as the fastest guy at the senior bowl at 20 mi- 21 miles per hour. Yeah, that's fast. That's really fast. Do you know what he has to do in order to get that, to get up to that speed? He has to get open. He has to catch the ball. He has to evade tackles. And then he has to get on a straight-on foot race. Right? He's not going to be a deep threat. It takes him a long time to get up to that speed. He's not going to be able to beat somebody in 2.5 seconds that allows the quarterback to wind up and throw it to him and then allow him to get that speed, to get up to the top end speed. It's not going to happen. He's not that gifted of a player. In fact, the only reason why I even know his name, yes, aside from watching game film, I did watch game film on him, but the only reason why I'm using his name right now is because he got drafted in the second round. He wouldn't even be on people's radars if he was drafted in the fourth round. He wouldn't. I mean, this says enough. He's getting drafted in the third round. He was a second round wide receiver on a team that just lost one of their, their alpha wide receivers. Ah, oh, man, drives, a sh- drives me nuts. I'll bet you anything that Josh Reynolds wins his starting job going into this year. In fact, the only reason that makes any sense to me as to why the Rams drafted this guy is because I don't know if they're going to be able to re-sign Cooper Cup in 2021 because all the other money they have tied up in all the other positions. They're going to have to re-sign Jalen Ramsey. Brockers, I believe, needs a new contract. Aaron Darnold, Donald might be coming up here soon. That's the only, only reason is because they don't think they're going to be able to re-sign Cooper Cup. Now, back to getting positive. Let's get back positive, right? Joshua Kelly, why the hell is he getting drafted almost all the way out of the third round? He's the 10th pick of the third round. That makes no sense to me. He went to the Chargers, people. He went to the Chargers. You guys are sleeping on this guy. You're sleeping on him. He's going to get the early work for the Chargers, especially if they start playing Eckler out there in the slot, which they've talked about. He's going to get the goal line carries. He is a a second-round pick for me, if not a a very, very early third-round pick. I want all the shares of them. Give them to me. I'll get, while you guys get there and get all greedy on your 101 picks, nom, 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 I'm going to get greedy on some, some Joshua Kelly. I love that shit, man. Love that shit. Give me all the Joshua Kelly if he's going in the third round. 
Once again, we have another quarterback, which I don't understand why he's here. The end of the third round, we have Jordan Love. Guys, he's not going to play for three, maybe four years, maybe even five years. Why is Jordan Love getting drafted at all? If you have a taxi squad where you have four available slots, sure, put them on there. Put them on there, but don't put them on there until the fourth or fifth round. There's no reason to. First off, quarterbacks are already as volatile as they can be. I mean, they can be more volatile than the wide receiver position. But then second off, I mean, you're not going to get any production out of him for a while. Sure, he has a longer shelf life once he is a starter, but there's no guarantee he's going to be a starter. Don't take him in the end of the third round. If anything, let him hit free agency. You know that somebody's going to pick him up. They're going to need a roster spot. And then, boom, they're going to get dropped. and You're going to be able to pick him up anyways in two years. Don't waste your draft picks. There are too many valuable players in this draft. Sure, if it was last year, yeah, I'd think about it just because it wasn't as deep. The year before that, definitely think about it. Definitely I would think about it. But not this year. No way. The guy that I want to move up is LeMichael Piran. And it looks like the Jets, they want to take some work off of Bell's plate. They really do. And it's kind of funny because I already had this in my notes and I'm sitting there talking to one of my buddies who's actually going to be on the draft later this week. Yeah, we're going to do a rookie mock draft later in the week. Guys, get excited for that. And he's sitting there pumping up LeMichael Piran. I'm like, damn it. Why is he pumping up LeMichael Piran? It's going to be my guy to pump up. But obviously people are seeing it. Adam Gase doesn't like Le'Veon Bell, obviously. I mean, there's... There's nothing really else to say about it. He just has, doesn't like him. And the offensive line for the Jets is getting a lot stronger. They're getting a lot, lot stronger. Now, is there a chance that Le'Veon Bill, Bell ends up regaining his old form after obviously sitting out for a year and then coming into a bad offensive line? Yeah, it's a definite possibility that Le'Veon Bell goes back to his old self. But is it a lock? No. The Michael P. Ryan is the perfect depth position guy to look at, especially if you already own Le'Veon Bell. I love LaMichael Piran. I think he needs to go higher than the late third round. Lynn Bowden. Oh, man, guys. Y'all are killing me. Killing me. Going in the fourth round. This guy was drafted as a running back. He's light years ahead talent-wise of Jalen Richard. I know they just re-signed Richard. You don't have to give me that spiel. But there's a lot of mouths to feed in this offense. And honestly, if any skill position player gets hurt, Lynn Bowden's going to be able to step in that position. You talk about slot receiver with Hunter Renfro. You talk about outside receiver with Tyrell Williams or, or Henry Ruggs. Right? You talk about running back. Any one of these positions, Lynn Bowden can step in and he can dominate. And if he gets an opportunity, good luck getting it back. His snap percentage should be through the roof, although you never know what position he can play. But you've got to look out even for the quarterback position with Lynn Bowden. Who knows? Maybe he could be the starting quarterback for the Oakland Raiders come time. I love Lynn Bowden here. I would take him just off his versatility alone. My next guy, and this guy, oh my God, this is probably the thing that, that pisses me off more than anything is when I saw this spot. I was looking for this guy and I'm like, where is he? Why is he not in the second round? What the fuck is going on? Donovan Peoples Jones, guys, DPJ, hello. Let me get this straight. Hold on. I have a little bit of tequila here in front of me. I got to drink this before I go on onto this segment. Give me one second. <sighs> Casamigos. Reposado. It's delicious. Tastes like toasted marshmallows. Anyways. The Browns. They're having some trouble with OBJ. 
right? That's what we're hearing on the grapevine, at least. That's what we're hearing is they're, they're struggling a little bit. The relationship between him and Baker Mayfield may not be pristine. He's had some injury concerns, played this whole entire year unhealthy, right? Maybe they get rid of him this year. Maybe. But if they don't, guess what? In 2021, going into 2021, they can save him a $16 million in cap space with zero. Zero dollars in dead cap if they cut Odell Beckham. What? They can save $16 million? Any year after that, they can still cut him. So let's just say he does perform at a high-end level this year and performs at a high-end level the following year. Then cut him the next year. Guess what? That's only three years into DPJ's career. You're still golden. On top of that, Jarvis Landry could get cut after 2021 while saving $13.8 million. 13.8. So let me go back. Let me take two steps back. You're telling me that they can save almost $30 million. $30 million if they cut both of these guys. $30 million. They drafted Donovan Peoples-Jones for a reason, people. One of these guys is gone, and if the other doesn't restructure, I'm not sure which one it would be, then they are both gone. Insert Steven Stefanski. This is his first ever wide receiver. This is his baby. This is his little one who he wants to develop personally. Donovan Peoples-Jones is Stefanski's little cute baby, man. A talented one at that. He's going to figure out ways to get him involved. He wants to make sure that people know. That people know that he's making the right decisions. The right personnel decisions. He will get work. And although I don't think he's going to be worth starting in year one, you better believe he will have some role in his offense in year two or year three. Just give him a year. I'm watching in and I'm thinking Miles Austin all across the board, but even more talented than Miles Austin with no injury history. Let's just give him one year sitting behind the LSU Wonder Twins and see what happens. Can he just learn a little bit, learn enough? Learn enough to be a starting wide receiver in this league? Oh my God, I'm chasing him everywhere that I can. Even if he doesn't end up taking over one of those guys' spots, he's competing for targets or for starting position with Taiwan Taylor and Higgins. <laughs> Taiwan Taylor and Higgins. Rashad Higgins, these are the number three guys on the roster outside, outside of DPJ. DPJ is going to be a monster. He's going to be the number three guy. He's going to be. How is he wide receiver 19 in this draft and the 404? I don't get it. I don't know. If I draft in these leagues, I wouldn't have another losing season again. I'd be able to pick up all my first and second and third round picks in the fourth rounds. I'd end up being a superstar. I would never have to rebuild. I would just keep building every single season. I'd own the whole roster. People would be quitting after two or three years. God, can you get me into some of these league guys? If you guys know a league I can just dominate, <laughs> let me come in there and just do work. God, man. Nah, that's actually get boring for me. I don't really like playing in those leagues. All right, so here's the deal. We went four rounds, and there's no Joe Reed on this board. What? How does this happen? What the hell is going on? Joe Reed? 49 picks in, and there's no Joe Reed. Does no one listen to this show? You have the heir apparent to the passing game. 
when it comes to the Los Angeles Chargers. He was the wonder boy with the ball in his hands at UVA. He led the NCAA in kick returns for a touchdowns. He is built exactly like A.J. Brown. He has the same workout metrics as A.J. Brown. He's not being drafted. What the fuck? Give him to me. Give all. Give all the Joe Reed shares to me. I will take them all and I will die on, die on my sword. If he does not show out, I will die on my fucking sword. He is going to be special, guys. I'm shouting it from the mountaintops. Why is he not getting drafted? Why? Doesn't make any sense to me. Another guy that's not getting drafted is Quez Watkins. Listen, he's going to be the replacement. He is for Deshaun Jackson. I'm telling you that right now. It's not going to be Hightower. It's not going to be Jalen Rager. It's going to be Quez Watkins. He had 18.4 yards per reception in college. He had a 71.9 catch percentage in college. That's crazy when you're the deep ball guy. When you're getting targeted downfield, you don't have a 71.9 catch percentage. That does not happen. It doesn't happen. Think about this. Down the, down the field, the average completion rate in the NFL is something like 60%, and yet he's catching 71.9% of those targets? That's crazy. He ran a 4.35 just like Deshaun Jackson did, but he's two inches taller and 10 pounds heavier, and he has better burst. Talk about an upside pick. If you're a Jalen Rager enthusiast, right, you have to take Watkins. If you decided to take Jalen Rager in the first round or wherever you ended up drafting him, you have to also pair him up with Quez Watkins. Because guess what? Jalen Rager's not going to make it, and you're going to need a fallback option. You're going to need a fallback option because Jalen Rager's not going to make it. The perfect guy to pair him with is Quez Watkins because Quez Watkins is going to make it. God, I'm just kidding, kind of. Kind of kidding. Not completely, but kind of kidding. Side note to that, uh, I did watch Hightower's film multiple different times, and I do think that Hightower, although he does have the breakaway speed, he is fast. I think he's going to play more of an Alshon Jeffrey role to an extent, but teams are going to have trouble containing the speed on this offense. I mean, it is a fast, fast team. Talk about Hightower, talk about Watkins, they added Marquise Goodwin, you still have Sean Jackson on there, Jalen Rager, sure. I mean, his camp's coming out and saying that he ran a 4-2-2. Whatever. It's bullshit. Whatever. Either way, Quez Watkins, for me, is definitely a steal. Definitely a steal of the draft. Along with Joe Reed, of course. Listen, I'm always coming away with new takes. And hot takes. And before I do any of this stuff, you guys can ask the other patrons on Patreon.com I put most of this stuff on Patreon.com about two or three days prior to them coming out on this. Whether it has to do with me editing the, the episodes, which I don't really do too often anymore. You guys could probably tell because I definitely brutalized this episode. But either way, they get the content prior to anybody else getting the content. So they're able to make the move prior to anybody else making the move. And guess what? It only costs you 50 cents a week. $2 for a month. Even if you don't need the content. Maybe you're ahead of me. Who knows? Just go show some support. Just go say thank you for doing this show for me. You provide hours and hours worth of entertainment every single week. 
Thank you. Here's $2. You guys probably gave more to the dudes sitting outside of 7-Eleven. It's patreon.com slash fantasy intervention. Patreon.com slash fantasy intervention. It is literally the same amount that you gave the hobo sitting outside the 7-Eleven smoking cigarettes. Two bucks a month, that's all it's going to take, and it goes a long way for me. It goes a long way. Patreon.com slash fantasy intervention. My last take on there actually had to do with a tight end that was poised to break out in 2021. Had massive amounts of upside. He produced at a high-end level. Everybody else keeps on forgetting about him. And honestly, he's available in pretty much every single league, but people are just blind. People are blind right now. They're not paying attention. It's absolutely insane. He's not only going to be an option in 2020, but he's going to break out. Break out like Darren Waller did in 2021. It's going to happen. This guy is a mammoth of a man, and he's going to break out. He already broke out once to an extent. I'm telling you guys. This guy could be the future tight end on your team for the next five or six years to come. And he's going to be a dominant, dominant presence there. Just go on to Patreon to find out who that was. And we mentioned Chenault earlier, right? And his ability to break out, right? Other receivers in this class are able to break out. But who is the one guy that nobody's talking about? The one wide receiver that nobody's really mentioned that's a rookie that could actually break out relatively early. I'm going to start out by giving you a little bit of a description. He's 6'4". He's 210 pounds. He has phenomenal, phenomenal ball tracking skills and catch radius. His over-the-shoulder receptions are (laughs) things of beauty. I'm talking about like Jordy Nelson. When it comes to back shoulder passes, or receptions, I should say. He has that level of talent when it comes to back shoulder receptions. I love it. If players like Jalen Rager or Brandon Ayuk were targeted like this, those targets would have gone down and registered as uncatchable targets. Because this guy's reach and range is so massive. I'm going to go ahead and let, it, let you guys know his name. It's going to be Isaiah Hodgins. Isaiah Hodgins wins the Bills. And yes, he did follow up another pick by the Bills, wide receiver of a big body 6'2 wide receiver. But this guy, since it's 6'4, has this serious, serious ability to be a major red zone threat just to start out his career, just to get it started. His ability to adjust his body in the air and his spatial awareness to be able to get his feet down in bounds are impressive. Impressive, to say the least. The more I watch his game film, the more like it drives me insane. And keep in mind, if you guys listen to my episodes, you know I didn't even bring him up until right before the draft happened because he wasn't really on my radar. But the more game film I watch, the more I'm just, wow. Wow. I watched it again today. And what I noticed this time is his ability to bait corners into leaning one way right before the throw, and then his ability to shift his body, allowing him to gain superior position and use his, his size up against inferior guys. Outreach his arms, shield them off of the catch, and get the reception. His hands are like glue. He had guys hitting him time and time again. He's not afraid of contact. He's a fighter down there. 
And I'm not a huge guy uh, or a huge fan of guys. I'm not a huge guy either, but I'm not a huge fan of guys that don't have the speed, that don't have the burst necessarily. Isaiah Hodgins really doesn't have that. But the way that he uses his body reminds me of somebody like Anquan Bolden, right? Anquan wasn't the fastest. He wasn't the quickest out there, but the way that he's able to shift his body and use it to his advantage made him a game changer. And the more I watch Isaiah Hodgins, the more it reminds me of a bigger version of that. It's insane. If, if he gets a chance to connect with Josh Allen and Josh Allen continues to work on his back shoulder passes, which he did a lot more towards the tail end with John Brown at the end of the season, he's going to be a dangerous, dangerous red zone target. And if he can stay on the field and he can continue to develop, you're talking about a third down threat when it's third and 10. You're talking about a red zone threat like we already mentioned. And you're talking about a position where the team's back. They're on, what, second and 15 off a penalty. They need a, sh- a shorter third down attempt. They're going to give him the rock. They're going to pass it to him knowing that he can shield a guy off eight yards down the field. 10 yards down the field. 12 yards down the field. He's going to be a special player if he can get on the same page as Josh Allen. And don't forget. This guy had a 30% target share in college. Isaiah Hodgins. And that's going to end the episode for us, guys. Don't forget to visit on, us on Patreon, patreon.com slash intervention. Please make sure you guys follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash intervention. We're available on Google Play, Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, and Castbox, of course, just like always, guys. If you want to get links to those, to the other platforms we're available on, go to the SoundCloud page, and there's actually going to be options that you can click on on the right-hand side of different platforms you can listen to us on. Huge shout-out to Fantasy Football Discussion on Facebook. You guys are amazing. 18,000 members that don't quit, man. They don't quit. They're awesome. Thank you guys for listening, and thank you for letting me intervene with your fantasy football life. I'm out. That's how you bang a podcast.